in the ballpark, season 2020, here we go! Alrighty, deep breaths everyone! Very good. St Kilda now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a bit of... (laughs) What is it? A bit of mindfulness, Maxi? Who knows what? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, very good. Are we ready? 31 games in 18 straight days. Season 2020 will end with a second footy frenzy, followed by a pre-finals bye, (laughs) then straight into an all-conquering, all-guns-blazing final series I'm Michael Serpal, and I am fittingly joined by the men who will help navigate you through every single minute moment of the next three weeks. Introducing the umpire, who will use his goal technology to help determine whether or not you pumped hand sanitizer before entering the supermarket. It's Ryan Frizy Hotwick. Frizy, welcome to you, mate. Ah, oh, Serps, thank you very much again. Maxie, good to be on, boys, for yet another week. And Serps, look, I suppose the goal line technology with a range of cameras available these days, very handy at the supermarket, you know, it can also help adjudicate who, who got to the queue first in those line ball decisions. Look, in this frantic day and age, very, very important. So glad you brought that up, I must say. Good to be on again, gents here. Pizza pockets and nothing for hungry kids, that's thirty-seven eighty-three. And Fryzy also good to adjudicate who got to the large stack of toilet rolls first. Well, <laughs> it's much needed, I think. Scarcity of items exists, particularly essential items such as that. I know the word essential gets thrown around a lot at the moment. Well, whoever said we don't need the goal review technology, I tell you what, a lifesaver, man. And I tell you what, Fryzy, I cooked a beautiful gnocchi mushroom flavored gnocchi this week and i tell you what frizy talking about essential items truffle oil frizy i couldn't find it anywhere i had to go to a boutique grocer so mate your goal line technology might have been very handy looking for the truffle <laughs> save the day by the sounds of it sir just again thank goodness we have it that sounds like a uh, a new attempt there by yourself making mushroom gnocchi dare i say fitting with the theme of the show you've certainly had a crack there so well done sir Thank you very much, Frizy. Yes, it's certainly a time to improve and sharpen areas of your skill repertoire. And cooking has certainly been not the strongest suit of mine in recent years. So, <laughs> yes, getting a little bit fancy with the mushroom gnocchi. It's a very, very good dish indeed, Frizy. <laughs> and let's introduce the other man anxiously waiting in the wings. He is the man who knows how many pints of Guinness Zach Tui owes the Western Bulldogs after his bruising match. How many metres or yards? The same man through his mouth guard. And how many Geelong fans visited Ancestry.com to see if fresh-faced GWS forward Jake Riccardi was in fact related to cat great Peter Riccardi. The fate of the match riding on Peter Riccardi. It leaves the boot. It's swinging back. It's Maxi, to be sure, to be sure, Tana. Maxi, welcome to you, mate. And what were the results from Ancestry.com? 
I couldn't tell you that, mate, but Jake Riccardi's been on fire. <laughs> a bit like you starting this podcast, mate. So you're on fire. You're up and about this week. It's good to hear. Oh, Maxie, I am up and about indeed. And I have received the Ancestry.com report. I have it in my hand at the moment. You can't see it. You're going to have to take my word. Is he the father? You are not the father. <laughs> they are not related. So no father-son involved in this one, unfortunately. For the Catters. <laughs> no good for the Cats fans, unfortunately. Wah, wah, woo, indeed. <laughs> it seems like one of our headlines every single week of this season to date. It is, of course, the AFL Grand Final. Where is it going to be? What date is it going to be on? Is it going to clash with horse racing? I don't give a sh- <laughs> We're going to talk about where we think the Grand Final is going to be hosted because... A certain report from Herald Sun's John Reckett Ralph believes a 7 p.m. grand final on October the 24th at the Gabba is, and I quote, overwhelmingly likely. Gents, is this to you at all a surprise or is this due to the fact that over 400 AFL players, staff, personnel are currently in the Queensland hubs and they are facilitating our great game during this troubled time. I'm not surprised at all. I think, I mean, we've been talking about this every single week. <laughs> and I think all the signs have been leading to Brisbane being the favourite the whole time. Would I have liked to see it in Perth or South Australia? Yes. As I was saying before, we started recording Nathan Buckley and Simon Goodwin on AFL 360 and they both alluded to the fact that they thought the grand final should have gone to the state or the city that was offering up the most money. And I think from a club perspective, with two people who are inside clubs, they're probably being impacted with seeing people lose their jobs around them and they're thinking, geez, the AFL needs the money here. But at the same time, the AFLs, they've got to look after some business relationships and Brisbane probably feel pretty harshly done by considering they've basically saved the AFL season if they didn't get it. So you can sort of understand both parties, some wanting it to go to Perth and some obviously the AFL probably looking after their relationship with Queensland. But yeah, I think... All signs have been leading to Brisbane for a long time, so I'm not surprised. Fryzy, you're a man who absolutely loves your cruises up the Brisbane River. It is one of the great <laughs> attractions of the beautiful city of Brisbane. Fryzy, as a second city local of Brisbane, do you think the city will embrace finals fever like what Melbourne does? Or any of the other footy prominent states. Quite a tragic set of circumstances, 2020 boys. No cruises uh, available at the moment. But look, life goes on. We'll be back there soon. Look, I think they will, guys. I think they'll get around it. You know, the thought of a once-off event that you probably won't ever get again. So it seems like, in the bits and pieces that I've read, we, we might be able to have 30-odd thousand in the house at the Gabba for this one. So I suppose when you consider that a handful of months ago, we weren't even sure if we'd be able to have any fans in anywhere. So it may not be as disastrous as first thought. And I think the logic is sound, given that the state of Queensland in general probably does deserve a lot of uh, gratitude for keeping this season alive. It sounds like, though, regardless of what happens here, the the match is is definitely locked in for that 7pm time slot, and the Gabba's now all but certain to host it. I think they should change it every, like, three or four years. I think for the most part, they should be day grand finals, but every, like, four years or so... Give us a Twilight Grand Final if some people like it. Or give us a Night Grand Final. We were having a discussion about the Dreamtime in Darwin. I like the idea of making it like an Olympic year thing. One in every four, we have like a special event where they change it. So we still get three years in a row of traditional daytime Grand Finals. 
But every fourth year, you look forward to the night grand final. Yeah, what do you guys think? Quite like that. I think the benefit about that is that we probably cover all bases in the sense you might be a better chance of pleasing everybody. You'll please your traditionalists by still having some day grand finals and you'll please those that want to see a bigger spectacle, you know, a real marquee-style event, I guess, the great thing about this situation and the year is that if ever there's a time to experiment and trial things, well, 2020 is it, given that rules really don't apply. Maybe this will be used as a bit of a bit of a test as to how differently it's received compared to day grand finals. I absolutely agree with you, gents. I think it would be a fantastic spectacle to have a night grand final just to see what it is like. I think it just has so many benefits and yeah, I'd love to see it become a feature. Not every year, as you guys mentioned, but every three or four, I think it would be a really good move for the AFL. Lots to look forward to on that front. Let's get to one of our favourite segments on the show. It is Ma Footy Memory. Footy Memory. Oh, fellas, September has arrived and you can taste spring in the air. It's warming up in Melbourne at least. The days are longer and that feeling of finals being just around the corner is arriving. September is a special time in Australia. Finals coincide with the term three school holidays, which always meant a road trip somewhere around Australia for my family. Guys, we'd travel to some funny old places. Humpty Bong was one of those places. We stopped the car looking for a loo in Dundadoo. We spent too long at the beach at Cockburn. Some fire ants <laughs> crawled into the wrong places in Burham Buttocks, which could also, the same could apply for the previous town I mentioned. We saw a massive piece of gold found at Chinaman's Knob. We met some beautiful German backpackers, Maxi, at Flirtation Hill, and their directions sent us all the way to Cream Puff Corner. Feeling good, <laughs> travelling to Whoop Whoop, but the wind picked up at Mount Blowhard, and we had a flat tyre which forced us to stop at Mount Buggery. That's the beauty about travelling around Australia, gents. There's always a pleasure point, which is a small suburb in southwestern Sydney. Well, <laughs> I was wondering where you were going to take that one, mate. How about that, gents? We have some beautiful names, some very comical names in Australia. What are your September memories, gentlemen? There's a great buzz around town. There always is, and it's something that will be missed this year. I historically have not travelled too much during the period. I've always sort of been Melbourne-bound. It's a real uh, special sort of little period to be a part of. No matter who's playing in it, you know the build-up, the attendance is going to be the same regardless. And we don't get them very often these days anymore, it feels like. But when you get a really gripping, close grand final, it just makes it what it is, doesn't it? Yeah, I feel what Friesy said. It's a good time. The weather starts to warm up and I remember when we were at school, the ovals, they cut the grass and you could sort of smell September in the air. It had a really good feeling and we'd go out for a kick. You could just feel the seasons changing. Yeah, as far as you said, there's a few miserable memories from Essendon fans. Whenever you talk about September, I'll always just go back to that 2014 elimination final against North. Oh no, yeah. no we don't like that <laughs> oh. on this show, do we boys? <laughs> I, I couldn't help but say it. I always go back there in September. <laughs> it's the one that got away. Yeah, it's a good time of year. I'm looking forward to whatever the hell this September is going to throw up in 2020. Well, every year we ensured that we were home for the finals, as you guys mentioned, just in case Essendon actually won one. So just imagine all the international wonders we could have seen if we had knew 
what the last 16 years would have thrown up. <laughs> anyway, every time we travelled around Australia, wherever we went, we carried our beloved footy. Whenever we saw a park, we'd stop the car and have a kick. Locals would join in, except for Queenslanders, and we would always make friends just simply by having a footy. Things were a little different, however, gents, when my family lived over in the UK for a year. My dad, brother and I would kick the footy at our closest park next to our house, which was a park in between a canal and a pub called the Old Red Lion. Our skills had to be absolutely to their best because we had to try and avoid kicking the ball into a bunch of lager monsters at the pub. As the year went on, more and more of the locals would be so fascinated by the shape of the ball and the way we were kicking it. And they would come and join in and have a go at kicking the footy. It was rather comical seeing some of the patrons from the pub kick the footy. Half cut! Most of them, after a brisk two-minute kick, would be found around the side of the pub, passing their Yorkshire puddings. <laughs> At school, the footy fascination continued. Why are you kicking a rugby ball so funny? Why do you have four sticks for your goal? How the hell do you bounce this thing? <laughs> and the girls at the school, believe it or not, gents, could actually kick the ball further than the boys by a country mile. So there you go. Might have to set up an AFLW camp in England. The footy was a big hit, and I was certainly gaining a lot of attention, being known as the Aussie with the oddly shaped nut. <laughs> I returned to England with my family in 2010 to reunite with my friends, revisit my old school, old house, old mate Prince Harry and co, and we returned to the park between the canal and the pub. Trouble was, we didn't have our beloved footy. But... Lo and behold, in the middle of the park, as if the universe had aligned, as if all my prayers had been heard, there lay a small AFL footy. What are the chances, Matt? I, I can't believe it, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was like history had repeated itself. The locals albeit half-cut locals from the pub, <laughs> celebrated in a community kick. If you want some, I'll give it you. And that is the story, gentlemen, how I inspired England to host Port Adelaide and the Western Bulldogs in 2012. So luckily for you, you missed the Collingwood winning a premiership, is that right? That's correct. You also missed the drawing grand final. That is correct, Maxi. So Jeez. as many of my good people know, and you blokes included, my old man is a tragic St Kilda supporter. So on the morning of the grand final, and it was quite early in the morning, mind you, over in England, we had to go to a McDonald's to check the footy scores. None of the TVs, believe it or not, that we had at our hotel room were actually showing the grand final. So we were checking the live scores on our phone. And I said to my dad, I said, mate, I think my phone's frozen. The scores are level. And we kept refreshing, kept refreshing, kept refreshing. And the scores continued to be level. And we could not believe it. It was a drawn grand final. Thankfully for my dad, he got back in Australia in time to go and watch the replay. And, gents, he famously said, my old man, the best part of that grand final was Lionel Richie. 
<laughs> I was such a disappointment after St Kilda performed so well in the in the drawn grand final. They got the life sucked out of them after getting so close two times in a row. But I remember yep. 2010, we were in middle school, I think we were in year seven at the time, just rocking up. And our school at the time, the majority of our year level was either Essendon or Collingwood. There was a few Western Bulldogs and North Melbourne supporters, but just rocking up after Collingwood had won a premiership and just seeing all the Collingwood supporters just bragging about it. Oh, <laughs> I couldn't stand I couldn't stand that when Collingwood won that premiership. Unbearable. After the draw, there was just that unfortunate air of inevitability that Collingwood, who were probably the strong favourites originally, and sure enough, they did just overrun them. Can I just point out, Seps, the fact that we're discussing here in this week's memory about a ball being found within a park on the show called In the Ballpark. It just couldn't be more appropriate. I'm so <laughs> glad you included that little bit there. <laughs> it was an absolutely amazing occurrence to find an AFL footy in England in a place where we used to famously kick the ball. September is a magical time of the year, as we touched on, and certainly very, very excited to see what happens in this year's final series, albeit in October. It's going to be very exciting indeed. That is my week's my footy memory. Bye, bye, bye. Footy memory. You've got no friends. Before we get into our considerable winners and mammoth losers, we have losers. We have losers. Let's first make mention to a team that didn't quite make the cut on the considerable winners list. They were up against a team that were currently, at the time, placed in 15th position. They were down at halftime by six goals in the second half. They started moving the ball more slickly. They had their big spearhead forward finally firing in his first game back after 460-plus days. It was one of the great wins that we've seen for season 2020. And it, in fact, inspired many comeback wins later that round. But, gents... How good of a win was this by Essendon? They just had to do it, but they found a lot of positives indeed. And let's firstly talk about Joe Danaher. How good was it to see him back in the red and black? Incredible, yes. Uh, Both this and that sort of football in the second half, things that Bomber fans have been promised in the last two or three seasons and been crying out for and not seen enough of either. So, look, it does highlight, I suppose, the most obvious point, and it's probably not just exclusive to Essendon either, that there are certain players on lists that when you take them out as opposed to when they are there, the difference is remarkable. So it all seems to look fantastic when it clicks together for Essendon. No idea if it can be sustained. I don't even know if people within the club can determine that either. But, guys... As we probably ask ourselves too often each season when we see a performance like this, where has it been? It's very, very true, Fryzy. Where has it been indeed? It looks like this season, Ben the Truck Rudden has tried to slow down the way we move our ball, make sure it's a lot more controlled, and ensure that we're not getting hurt on the rebound. However, you got to say, when the boys take on the game and start moving that ball more quickly, doing those lateral handballs and changing up the angles and making our attack more unpredictable, you got to say, it's a much more enjoyable game to watch. And it worked in the second half, Maxi. It did, man. I'll touch on Joe first. It was incredible to see him, especially in the second half, just his athleticism after coming off such a debilitating groin injury. I've had groin injuries a little bit a fair while back, and it doesn't help, especially jumping and your sideways movement. So, 
especially his first big kick. He grabbed it off the halfback flank. I think he might have got a free kick. And he's just launched this ball like 60 metres onto the wing. It was sort of like a get stuff with this handballing sideways business. I'm just going to go. And it, from there, they just started moving the ball a lot quicker. In a way, sort of worried me in thinking, is this second half them just doing this because they're six goals down at halftime against... Did they play that way because that's the way they want to do or because that's the way they had to is my worry because the way they've been coached to play is actually how they played in the first half where they're chipping the ball sideways and ham- and trying to handle where in the second half they just went because they had to and my worry as an essence supporter is that's not the way that they actually want to play which has me thinking why these coaches are trying to set up a game plan which they've seen other teams implement and be successful rather than constructing a game plan that suits your list and your players which is what I think they should be doing, which is what they did in the second half, which is why it's so frustrating to me. Yeah, it was great to see Joe play and his athleticism, his spring and his power and his kicking, which was incredible. And also Hooker and Stringer as well, because you see the flowing effect of, hang on, suddenly Stringer's getting the third or fourth best defender. And you could sort of see Jake, <laughs> just the way he was moving. You could see his excitement. He was sprinting around like you hadn't seen in a long time. You're just thinking, finally, I'm getting to play with Joe. And the attention isn't on me. Yeah, it was, it was mixed feelings for me because it was great to see, but is that the way that they actually want to play it or is that the way that they had to play to win? Yeah, whether it was out of necessity or not, unless you're in the four walls, you only truly know the answer to that. But yeah, you're absolutely right. That's why they're not one of our considerable winners because they didn't put together a four-quarter performance and there are still massive question marks on this team going forward. And especially now where all odds are against them with such a hard draw, this is probably the best time to play that second half game style considering it's all or nothing now for the whole season. So it would be good to see them play it a little more often, but Frizy, it's still a big question. It looked more like an estimate of two or three seasons ago when it was um, that real breakneck sort of... 2017. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah. would look electric at times, but could also get hurt going the other way. And it's probably the next big question on everyone's mind is the future of Danaher and just highlights even further to the club and its fans, the importance of hanging on to him. Fingers crossed he can remain at Bomberland in 2021. Well, gents, let's get to our considerable winners for round 14. And Maxie, let's start with you because you've identified the hot Tigers at the moment. They came up against the West Coast Eagles after the double header that Essendon had on Thursday night. And you got to say, West Coast in Queensland is just a completely different side. But credit where credit is due after a very, very tight first half. Richmond pulled away and it looks like they are the Tigers of old, Maxi. Yeah, it was kind of like the big boys came to play and the Tigers walked down on top. They're now fourth. So they're 9-4 and and a draw. I kind of felt like, just looking at the ladder and the games to come, only one of these teams is going to squeeze into the top four. Because I feel like just looking at Port Adelaide, Brisbane and Geelong's draws, I think all three of those teams are going to win enough games and the run home to finish top four. So 
I personally think these are the potentially two of the best three. Richmond, West Coast and Geelong are the best three teams. But I think out of Richmond and West Coast, only one of them are going to end up finishing top four. So that's why I picked Richmond as my considerable winners because I thought West Coast are also a game behind. They played a game less than Richmond and they're only two points behind. I felt like if Richmond didn't win this game, then it was going to be pretty hard for them to steal that top four spot off West Coast. So Richmond looked like the clearly better side and potentially if they play that way, they're, in my opinion, probably the best side in the comp. And considering the amount of finals experience that they've got over the last three or so years, you probably have to have them as premiership favourites at the moment. Yeah, I just really like a number of players at the moment. They've got Shai Bolton, who's just come out of nowhere this year. He started on a half-forward flank, forward pocket, and this year he's just become a genuine midfielder in the absence of Cochin, who missed a fair part of the start of the season, and also Preston and Edwards. Also, Noah Bolter, extremely athletic, kicked like a 65-metre bomb goal. That was unbelievable, Maxi. That was incredible. But he kicked the skin off it. There's, <laughs> they're sort of like, you're always hesitant to make these comparisons, but you see it in the athleticism of a young Alex Rance. Not saying he's going to be as good, but you see the similar athleticism. Jaden Short is a very underrated player. Almost 500 metres gained and he went at 85% efficiency. So he's really good off half back. And also little Liam Baker. You look at him go around, he's just like this really short guy for an AFL player. And you think, how's, how's this bloke not getting smashed? But he's so hard to tackle and he doesn't fumble. He's very clean. So the Tigers, they just keep producing really good young players out of nowhere. Also to return, who didn't play is Grimes, Asprey, Prestia and Edwards. So they've still got premiership players to come back. They're all senior experienced players. To come, they've got Fremantle, Geelong and Adelaide. So I've got them winning against Fremantle and Adelaide, obviously. And then the Geelong game is a massive game, which is a genuine 50-50. So if they win all three of those games, which is a fair possibility, I think that should finish in probably fourth position. So whoever plays Richmond week one of the finals should be looking out. And if I was Port Adelaide, who's probably odds on to finish first, they're potentially playing Richmond at Adelaide over week one. So if you're Port Adelaide, you want to finish second. So yeah, look out because I reckon the Tigers are coming. Injuries still seem to be a bit of a concern. As you mentioned, Grimes did a hamstring, but it doesn't look like a super serious one, Maxi. But he'll still be sidelined for a little while. Obviously, good to have Basher Hawley back. Kane Lambert is also out. So they're still finding ways to win. And as you mentioned, they found so many players through having all these injuries. Do you think these injuries are going to hurt them come finals time? I think by finals time, they'll have them back especially as you mentioned at the start of the episode, it's looking like there'll be a pre-finals buy. So I reckon by finals time, they'll get all these players back and they'll be ready to go. Now, as far as the ruck is concerned, Fryzy, we saw Toby Nankervis return, the dual premiership ruckman. He is an absolute star. But Marby Old Choll's done really, really well this season, offered them a lot up forward. Come finals time, what Ruckman would you prefer, Fryzy? It's hard to know without being inside the four walls, guys, but you'd probably lean on the experience, I think, and perhaps they're showing their cards early. A wealth of finals experience still to come back into this side. You can only imagine the last three seasons of exposure that a lot of these players have had is only going to hold them in good stead once the finals do begin, perhaps to their advantage ahead of others. So that's, that's massive with those um, guys they're still waiting on. And as we've talked about in previous weeks, just again, 
underlines that incredible depth. They have a beautiful system going and all the players are buying in on it, which is absolutely fantastic for them and their fans. Should we read too much into the little indiscretions that are happening off the field for the Tigers? Is this going to affect their finals run at all? And does this at all affect their performance going forward? Didn't affect them against West Coast, so I don't see how it's going to affect them in the finals. Inclined to agree with that. I just think they're really, really good teams and the, the strong systems, as you mentioned, so I think they push on regardless of noise and things happening. And I, I think they're more than able to do that. It can have an impact of poking the bear a little bit. And sometimes it works in their favour. They get like a nuss against the world kind of attitude. I sort of wonder if Richmond is creating that for themselves. Like some of these stories seem a little bit manufactured. If anything, I can see it helping them in a way. Very comprehensive coverage of the Richmond Tigers there, Maxi. Let's move to the other considerable winner of the round because it is also another team in the top four. Frizy, at quarter time, they were down by six goals and looked very, very unlikely. But this team has an uncanny knack in season 2020 of being around the mark and coming back from this deficit at quarter time really does sharpen their credentials. We're, of course, talking about the Geelong Cats. And, Maxie, of course, we spoke about Richmond having a lot of big names to come back into that side. Well, Frizy, a certain Gary Ablett, Brownlow medalist, is training at the moment in Geelong with retired cat Andrew Mackey. So, Yablet! Yablet! It's all going right at the cuttery. At the moment, Frizy? It certainly is. And you just think that's a side without Gaz in it at the moment. They may get him back cherry ripe for finals, possibly not before. But that's a huge plus if they do. It's not as though the man hasn't got finals experience to bring to the table. Wow. And they will be, I think, only taking greater confidence after this result on the weekend. Look, let's not forget that the first quarter was quite awful by their standards. Down six goals to nil. They came back in... A weekend of multiple great comeback wins. The result largely helped by some Paddy Dangerfield dominance because who else? He had 10 score involvements to finish and it ensures that they still only sit that one game behind Port Adelaide. Yeah, look, they're on track. That was a terrific confidence-boosting result. Frizy, how big is their forward line at the moment? The big man, Tomahawk. Tom Hawkins is absolutely dominating. Career best form at the moment. As we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, still unbelievable to believe that he doesn't have a Coleman medal in his award chest. But I tell you what, another man who goes under the radar is none other than Gary Rowan, the Ed Sheeran lookalike. I'm in love with your body. How important has Gary been for them this season, putting together a full preseason before the season started? And he really got them back into the game. I mean, how big has Gary Rowan been for them, Frizzy? Look, significant is uh, is probably understating it. It just shows what we've probably suspected all along. The quality of this guy once, as you said, full preseason, once the body does work with him, not against him. It's incredible. Young boy Grian Myers, well known already for the for the long hair. A couple of goals for him on Friday night as well. They just present with so many 
viable options. And as you said, I don't think it's exaggerating it at all to say career best form for the Tomahawk, uh, irrespective of age. It's been absolutely incredible for him, perhaps someone that's benefiting from having those other options alongside him in the forward line take a little bit of focus off him. They've certainly addressed that, and it's only been to his advantage. And I'll tell you what, he is pretty handy on the microphone as well, doing a bit of roaming tomahawk. BT might have to watch out for his job there. And, gents, we absolutely love the Irishman on our show. We love him to be sure, to be sure, to be sure. Maxi. How badly battered and bruised was poor Zach Tui? We're not exactly selling the international game to our Irish friends. He was battered and bruised and thrown around and hit in the ribs and hit several more times in the ribs. Gosh, what a brave character indeed. Yeah, he, he was in the war. <laughs> he was in the wars. It's just one of those nights where you can't get out of the way. He gets smashed twice, but he's been a very good player for a long time. It's, when he retires, it'll be interesting to see where he sort of stands among the Irish players because when you think of probably the top three, it's got to be Jimmy Steins, Tykanelli, and probably Zach Tui's the next one. So Tykanelli, I think Zach Tui said in his post game, is the only one who's won a premiership. So Zach Tui's in the race to do it this year. He's been a very good player for a long time, but yeah, he was in the wars. And yeah, he had a nice shine the next day that's for sure let's get to our mammoth losers because of course where there are considerable winners there are mammoth losers mammoth losers <laughs> there were plenty of them and we were of course talking about geelong's incredible come from behind win against the doggies while the doggies couldn't quite hang on in that game they did pretty well they managed to stay ahead until about the four minute mark of the final quarter but the cats were too good but let's talk about the doggies, Maxie, because this really hurts them and their finals aspirations. As we mentioned before, if they had won that game, they sit nice and comfortably in the eight. But they're contending against Melbourne and possibly the Giants. Maxie, can the doggies make it? It's going to be hard now. They're 10th at the moment after that loss. They're 7-7. Seven and seven. I just can't imagine for a Dogs fan how frustrating that game would have been to watch to see how well they played in the first quarter. And... You just felt like after Geelong turned things around in the second quarter, you just felt all night that Geelong are eventually going to chase them down. So they ended up losing 61 to 72, but after quarter time, it was 69 Geelong to Western Bulldogs 22. They were six goals up at quarter time, and they also held Geelong goals, which not too many teams have done. They've just got a lot of question marks over the ground for me, especially in the ruck. I had the Bulldogs as my considerable winner last week, and this week I've got them as my loser, and that just goes to show what the Bulldogs are this season. They're 7-7, seven and seven, which probably just fits them perfectly. They're a win one week and they'll lose the other. They haven't beaten any top eight sides apart from Melbourne, and Melbourne are pretty similar. As I said last week, the question marks remain. The ruck, they lost the hit-outs 49-13. to 13. Beveridge doesn't seem to trust English around the ground, especially you see Tom Hawkins just shoving him around. <laughs> He's putting Dunkley into the ruck around the ground and also a bit trust Bruce. I kind of think it's having a negative impact on Dunkley playing as a genuine midfielder as well. I sort of wonder if they should be going after a ruckman in the trade period maybe to help an English over the next one, two years. Maybe someone like Braden Bruce, who's stuck behind Max Gorn at the moment, if you're offering maybe a two or three year deal, and just to help Tim English over the next one or two years to help develop him and have someone to guard him around the ground. The key backs, they seem a bit light. Young Gardner's probably not up to it at this stage, so whether or not they went after Alex Keith last year, do they go after another one? What I'm highlighting is a key back and a ruckman 
I reckon Jordan Ruffhead would be pretty handy at the moment. So I reckon that was a questionable decision at the time. And looking back at it now, it looks like even a worse decision as someone who plays key back and can be a second ruckman. Jordan Ruff, they should never have let him go. So, And also, the other question mark that I had last week was whether or not Josh Bruce is going to get back to his best form and whether him and Norton are going to click together. And also, is Shaki going to get a game? Is he going to get a game? Are they going to have a look at the three of them together? Is Shaki even going to be on the list next year? So to come, they've got West Coast, which I reckon I'll probably have them down as a loss, but it's a 50-50 game considering West Coast's record. They're a sneaky chance, but I'll probably favour West Coast. But in the last two games, they've got Hawthorne and Freeman. They could potentially still make it, but what was so disappointing is had they have won that game, they probably would have made it considering they would have an extra four points and then Hawthorne and Freeman would have finished the year. So to lose a six-goal lead at quarter time, that's the reason why they've lost it. It's just too inconsistent, too many question marks around the ground at the moment. And Maxie, just quickly on them giving up that really mammoth lead, did they change their game style? Did they do anything differently? Did they become more conservative with the ball and their approach and their attack? A little bit, but I think it was more Geelong's pressure. I think it was a Mitch Duncan who spoke at quarter time. You could see the clarity in Chris Scott's message, especially to the older Geelong players. And Geelong is such a mature group, in my opinion, and strategically aware of themselves. They know what they're doing right and they know what they're doing wrong. And to me, Geelong realised, hang on, we're not putting enough pressure on these guys and it's allowing them to move the ball quickly with blokes like Johansson, Caleb Daniel, Hayden Crozier, all those Bulldogs blokes who've moved the ball so well off halfback. Geelong realised that and they put the clamps down and the Bulldogs couldn't score after that. So to me, it was disappointing for the Bulldogs, but again, as Fry's highlighted, Geelong are a pretty good team at the moment. Yeah, the the fluctuation between performances um, in that sort of hot and cold nature, that, that won't impress the coach for sure. I think Obviously outstanding, um, as you could say, with, with the best of most teams. Um, but I think because of that, and I think we saw patches of it last season too, and in the end they, they didn't last very long come finals time. Um, again, as, as you guys sort of said, it's probably very difficult now to see them sneaking in, almost got to win every game, and even then it's not guaranteed. I don't think they're finals worthy in that case. I'm not sure that they'd be able to... Um, cause much trouble making it. But yeah, I, I, I'd probably lean towards a disappointing season, I think, in the end. Might just end up being a little bit of uh, what could have been for an obviously talented side, particularly through the midfield. Let's get to the other mammoth loser for this round because it was the last game of round 14. It was against the Gold Coast Suns. They haven't won a game for a very long time. And with North Melbourne, Losing by such a big margin, Frizy. We need to ask ourselves the question, where are North Melbourne at and where do they believe they're at? i got to say, they were soundly beaten here on all fronts. A 63-point loss, which is uh, a whole lot more concerning, I think, when you consider the shorter game times that we have at the moment. Um, It just left a lot to be desired. I'm not sure where to from here or what any of the answers are. Um, A lot of their 22 had a really poor outing on the weekend. There were no goals after halftime. Goodness me, this screams desperate sort of times. They've certainly um, pumped their side full of youth. We know that probably a handful that we think are good enough to, to take this side forward, but there are obviously a lot of others where the jury remains out. Probably a long, difficult road back, I think. On the appointment of Reshaw, do you think 
in retrospect, looking back at it now, seeing the way this season has unfolded, do you think that was a premature decision? Possibly. I was. It's funny, I was just thinking exactly that as you, you were beginning that sentence there. So I wonder if it was rushed into off the back of a handful of um, impressive performances. I don't know long-term whether or not they've, they've made the right call. I don't really think any sort of thorough due process was taken with this. And maybe that's going to be to their detriment. Maxie, do you think the problem is with the list or do you think the problem is with the coaching personnel? I think the problem's the list, um, but also with their coaching that they've let go a number of their coaches. I think Reshaw, especially that coach's box, looks pretty thin at the moment. I think he needs someone sort of like Melbourne has at the moment where you've got Simon Goodwin along with Alan Richardson, an experienced coach who's been there and done it. Reese needs help at the moment, but for North Melbourne, in my opinion, it's all about the list. To me, they've been plagued by delusional list decisions, in my opinion. Since that 2014-15 run, I think they've just made all of the wrong decisions that you could make. They throw money at players like Jared Pollock, who at the moment somehow can't get a game. I sort of feel sorry for him because I think he'd been probably in most other good teams' best 22. But for some reason, North Melbourne won't blame. Just with their young players, I think they need to get elite first-round picks in. I'm talking like top 10 picks. They sort of didn't go down that path last year when they had the chance with Higgins and Goldstein. They probably could have got a first-round pick. But you look at it now... They're players that might have some value of like Higgins, Goldstein, and maybe like a Robbie Tarrant, who some teams are challenging, might pay a first-round pick. You sort of question whether they still would because of the age of those blokes who are all over 30. Sort of think, where, where are they going to get those draft picks from? They've got, I think, pick two at the moment. But to me, they've got to probably get at least two inside 10 and maybe three inside 20 like Port Adelaide did. So how are they going to do that? I'd have a look at trading Ben Brown if I could get a pick, see if Collingwood would be willing to give up their first-round pick to, for Ben Brown because I think that's the perfect fit for the Collingwood Football Club, by the way. But to replace him, I'd look at maybe Peter Wright and Finlayson, but just go after first-round picks because they haven't got enough talent. They've been played by sort of not willing to drop out and now they're finding themselves having to because they're in 17th spot when they haven't wanted to drop out <laughs> they're in the bottom four anyway so now they're really stuck with no choice North Melbourne as a club will sort of come out in some years and sort of saying that they can't afford to drop out financially which you sort of understand but you get to this point anyway their hands sort of being forced at the moment they've got to they're in a world of pain at the moment, North Melbourne. And in comparison, you have a look at Gold Coast, who have had no choice but to go down that route and get young talent in. And you can see the benefits that it is creating for them. And you have a team, North Melbourne, that, as you mentioned perfectly, guys, they don't have that top-end talent from the draft. Let's get on to one of our favourite segments of the show. It's Bring It Back, Give It The Sack. Have a crack. My bad and my crack. Now, to bring it back, on the weekend, we saw the Saints replace the colour white in their socks for yellow, going for an Indigenous coloured theme for their historic clash in the heart of the country in Alice Springs. However, guys, this isn't the first time the Saints have had yellow in their Guernsey repertoire. The Saints have a history of incorporating yellow into its uniform, dating back to 1915 during World War One. That is right. The traditional yellow stripe in St Kilda's original Guernsey was replaced for white for four years as the colours were associated with the German flag. <laughs> 
Now, when the war was over, the yellow was removed for good. By the time the Second World War began, the rationale prevailed and the Saints remained in their home colours until this day. So, more than 141 years in the red, white and black, there have been few times where they've been able to show off the yellow colours. Now, you might remember, gents, in 2002 and three, they gave it a crack, and it's fair to say it wasn't so popular. It looked a little bit like a urine sample, <laughs> but they got to wear the yellow, black, and red during a 2005 Heritage Round clash. Now, gents, we're friends with Germany now. Should we bring back the red, black, and yellow for the Saints? I certainly don't mind it, boys. I mean, now... A day's clash jumpers are all about white. There's so much white floating around. I think this might just be a little point of difference. Perhaps survey the members, the fans, what they think or what they thought of previous editions. I must admit, as unique as it is, I don't mind the German-themed jumper. We know Brendan Goddard has a bit of an infatuation with German cuisines. Of course, the pretzels when he knocked those over <laughs> when he was playing for the Dons. But gee whiz, wouldn't it be great to get a little bit of German culture at Moorabbin? Maxi, you've got some German heritage. Do you like the look of this? And will you possibly change Guernsey's? I don't think you'd be able to convince all the Saints supporters, mate. I think they're pretty happy with the red, white and black. I think it's pretty synonymous with the Saints. But it all brings back to my point that I've been saying, bring back Heritage Round. We want to see these Guernseys once a year. I'm happy with the Saints sticking in their red, white and black, but bring back Heritage Round. This is what we want to see. This is what we want to see. We want to bring it back and we need to be heard. Fremantle's Guernsey is too simplistic these days. You've got to bring back bring the... Bring back the anchor. I can see you there, Frizy. You're going, please, please bring it back. Please do. The Heritage concept is just about one of the best things this show has produced. It's not going to go away, is it, Frizy? Yeah. It's not going to go away from us. No, not at all. If there's one thing we do want to bring back, I reckon we'd all just about agree that's at the top of the list. So all those Saints supporters listening out there, get your yellow highlighters out and see what that looks like indeed. Give it the sack. The lack of goal line technology. Now, Melbourne had a very, very good three-point win over the team that we mentioned in Bring It Back St Kilda. It came after the Demons possibly benefited from the lack of goal line cameras. After Christian Petrarca kicked an incredible goal, Dougal Howard, his opposition number, thought that he had put a finger on the ball before it crossed the line. By the way, talking about Bring It Back, Dougal Howard's long hair, I reckon we got to bring that back as well. He looks like a different creature now, and we do not like this creature. <laughs> the camera angles offered. The AFL do have goal line cameras in place at major venues, but it does not include Trajer Park, which generally holds just one match per season. The coaches after the game said they need to have goal line technology at all venues, no matter where it is and no matter how many times they play at the venue. Guys, in your opinion, was this a case of the AFL thinking it won't be needed as we're only playing one game here in Alice a season? Or was this a genuine mistake? Probably a little bit of cost-cutting. I think there's a little bit of a dispute between who plays, whether the AFL wants to play or whether the broadcasters want to play. I think there's a little bit of a disagreement between the AFL and the broadcasters there, but I think you're right, man. There, should, there shouldn't be any excuse for If you're playing AFL games, there should be just strap a GoPro to the goalpost. It can't be too hard, but 
Having said that, I thought it was a goal. I didn't think it was touch. So I think there's an image floating around that shows it pretty clearly. It's over the line. But um, put some cameras up. It's not that hard. Frizy, you are the umpire on the show. You love your holidays up in the NT. You quite like the Todd River. Frizy, what is going on? Why aren't there enough cameras up there? Where else to be but the NT, gents? Yeah, look, um, to be frank here, if if a ground has been ticked off as uh, suitable for a match, it's got to have the necessary facilities as as per any other venue. wouldn't matter if it's the MCG on grand final day. Um, it does further prove that, look, if we're going to have this, that's fine, but we can't shortcut with it. You end up with situations like this. Not only do we need clearer footage and better camera angles at all the other grounds, again, probably understandable to an extent given the situation. But yeah, look, if you're going to use a ground in this day and age, you just can't take your chances with technology side of things, I think. Absolutely agree with that, Frizy. And just on that, the AFL have committed to ensuring goal line cameras will be in place for every match until the end of the season, including at grounds that may not feature too many games every year. Well, that's an important step forward for the AFL. And as you mentioned there, Frizy, if you're going to tick a ground off for AFL standards, it just has to be a prerequisite. It's just got to be there. Have a crack time. And we got to start by saying credit where credit is due. The AFL got it right, shortening quarters to 16 minutes of playing time this season with a condensed fixture, quick turnarounds, and the fear of finishing our season in December. It's the call that had to be made. But, but with a pre-finals buy being announced recently, teams having their buys at the moment and a minimum of six day breaks between finals i reckon have a crack at 20 minute quarters plus time on for the final series the afl have committed to doing so in 2021 so why not bring it forward when fans want more footy and the spectacle well it will have to be grand for the final series gents what are our thoughts on extending the quarters for the final series this year. <laughs> I'm looking forward to longest quarters coming back next year, but I don't think you can change the length of time within season. Uh-huh, yeah. I think regardless of whether we're talking football or anything competitive, changing the rules, it might be met with some criticism. I think based on that alone, there'll be too much reluctance to do this. And look, I think the main thing here, as long as we get those quarters back to normal length next year, I can't see too many uh, having having a problem with that. Will this take away from any sort of final spectacle, especially between those top sides playing off in the finals? I don't think so, Serps. Uh, no, I think um, we've still seen plenty of close games throughout the season. It might just mean for slightly lower scoring and a bit more of a scrap, but we're, <laughs> I think we're all pretty used to that by now. So, no, I, I don't think it'll take a lot away from the spectacle, apart from the fact that for the broadcasters and the advertisers, it might just be a little bit shorter. Yeah, this is just 2020, mate. We've got to make do with what we've got, unfortunately. We've had 16-minute quarters all year. So you can't have like 150-odd games or whatever it is and then suddenly change it. It would be a massive change and it might take a bit of getting used to from the players. So have a crack. Possibly not in this situation. We'll have long quarters back in 2021. Let's get to our final segment of the show. It is the games we're most excited about for round 15, the start of the second footy carnival. And Frizy, you have selected a very mouth-watering clash. And 
In fact, a very important clash for both of these two sides' top eight aspirations, which are hanging on by a thread, might I add. Yeah, definitely, Seps. I've uh, chosen the Giants and the Blues Thursday night, this one at Metricon Stadium. Not only is there a little bit of an informal rivalry, I suppose, built in with the mass exchange of players over the years between these two clubs are quite extraordinary, really. Um, Even though after last week's defeat to the Pies, Carlton may be all but done in terms of finals. You don't want to put a line through them, but it's certainly looking that way. They've claimed some notable scalps this year of sort of other contenders around a similar mark or even um, higher up the ladder. Wins over Geelong, the Bulldogs and Essendon spring to mind. Now, the Giants are not. I think many would still expect them to make it. Percentage as we sit here is the only thing that keeps them out. But boy, do they need this. If Carlton can bring a surprise on them on Thursday night. That's going to make it really difficult for the Giants. So maybe just about over in terms of finals for the Blues, but everything is on the line for the Giants. That's why I'm looking forward to this one, gents. And quite notably, the Satanta O'Halpin Cup. It is going to be an absolute beauty indeed. And as we mentioned before, Jake Riccardi absolutely flying at the moment, also giving Jeremy Cameron a lot of confidence in the forward line. And it looks like Paddy Cripps is playing a a little bit sore at the moment and hopefully we get a very very close game for that one now maxi you've chosen a rivalry that of course dates back to the 2002 2003 grand finals the nathan buckley cup as well you could say and the lions are playing the pies and this is one of the most anticipated games of round 15, Maxi. Yeah, man, Brisbane versus Collingwood, third versus six. I'm really looking forward to this one. Um, Brisbane haven't been to Collingwood in a long time. They often play this game on a Friday night. Um, Brisbane always seem to, they want to get themselves up for this game. They really hyped it up last year and they performed awfully. As I said, they haven't been to Collingwood in a long time. Brisbane are third, they're fighting for a top fourth position, potentially a home final, even though most of them are already in Brisbane and Collingwood are fighting to make sure that they stay within the eight. So Brisbane have been just trudging along with pretty average wins against St Kilda and North Melbourne. So I want to see them put on their big boy pants and show that they've grown up, that they're here and they're a contender. So I want to see Brisbane win this game and show us all that just how much they've improved over the last two years. Because with Collingwood's, they've still got a lot of plays out. Brisbane should really be winning this game. You're absolutely right about that, Maxi. Brisbane should be winning this game with the availability that they have. But Brisbane, as you touched on, haven't been in the greatest of form recently. They've been scraping over the line in the last couple of weeks as well. So... If Brisbane are down at quarter time by quite a margin, similar to what Geelong were, we might see another angry Chris Fagan. Who knows? Fryzy, who are you tipping for this one, mate? Going to go Brisbane just, but as Maxi sort of alluded to, it's a massive test of uh, character and just how far they've come in the last couple of seasons because um, it would certainly be a big credit in the bank taking out a win like this. This is an enormously um, attractive game, even just from a neutral fan point of view. So, um, And I suppose in a season where everyone plays each other just once, yeah, look, a difficult one to get a read on. I'm going to go Brisbane at this stage just, but definitely looking forward to this one. Absolutely. Going to be a great clash, we hope. Gentlemen, thank you so, so much again for joining me this week on In the Ballpark. It has been an absolute pleasure talking footy, and I'm sure you guys are already getting yourselves strapped in for the next footy frenzy. Thank you.
Well, as you said, thanks for having us. Yeah, Maxi, thanks very much. Enjoy your week's footy, guys. Thank you very, very much, guys. And thank you for listening wherever you are in Australia or around the world to another episode of In The Ballpark. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow our Instagram at In The Ballpark AFL. It's been an absolute joy. We'll see you next time on In The Ballpark. Motherfucker, fuck the fucking world, and my new band is called Siskill. Ja, überall rein.